This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The Mishkan was built, and anyone who learned in, in the Pashat of Truma and Tetzava, the Mishkan was built in the Midbar. It was built after the most terrible Avera that Klai Yisrael did. It was built after, at our wedding day, the day that we were the Kala, we were the bride, Hashem was the Chasan. The Chasan was walking to meet the bride. He was going to bring her her ring, the Luchos. And on that day, the Kala, the bride, if we can imagine something like this, even in human beings, when the Chasan came into the room, the Yichud room, to give his wife her Tachshit and her jewelry, in the Yichud room, she was with another man. I don't think anyone in this room could even understand the pain of a chasan walking into his yichud room, bringing her, his wife, his brand new wife after the chuppah, her tachshitin, the jewelry that he bought her to show his love, and then to find her in that yichud room with another man. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent Moshe Rabbeinu a shliach to bring us his most beautiful jewelry for us, his luchos, his tachshitin, thinking that Klai Yisrael would be waiting to get these luchos, the kala. And what happened? Hashem said, I don't know, I hear something in the Yichud room. The kala, there's laughter. Something's going on. Moshe Rabbeinu said, maybe there's war. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe the kala is being attacked. Shem said, no. Kala's not being attacked. Kala's with another man. Moshe Rabbeinu took the luchos and he broke them. What did God do? What would any of us have done at that point? We would have turned around. We would have walked out never to talk to that Kala again. We would immediately send her a get get divorced, chutzpah, what kind of answer could she even give at the wedding, right after the chuppah, in the yichud room? What happened? What did Hashem do right after we did this terrible Avera? HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, build me a house. I want to be with the kala, the same kala that did this terrible thing. Build me a house. I want to live amongst them. Chazal says that we don't know how good a marriage is until after the first fight. Everything is great. Everything is unbelievable. It's a beautiful wedding. You have a lot of guests and you have music and you have good food and you have parties and everything's nice. They're engaged for three months. Everyone's happy. But how do you know if this marriage is going to last? If after the first disagreement and things are not so good, the two of them come back together, then you know it's a good marriage. So the greatest moment for Klai Yisrael was not when Hashem gave us the Torah. Times were good. God came to us and said, will you marry me? We said, Nasev and Ishma. Sure. Then we'll talk to you about why. But sure, things were great. 
The Chosan took us out of Mitzrayim. He wiped out the Mitzrayim. Life was unbelievable. But how did we know that this relationship that we're in so many thousands of years, how do we know that it's real? And the answer is, we know that it's real because after we did the most terrible thing to the Chosan, the Chosan said, it's okay. You're forgiven. Make me a base on Migdash, I want to dwell. Very big mistake that we make. If we look at the word Besocham, it means, Make me a Migdash, I want to dwell in you. In every single person, in every single Jew. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, V'asali Migdash, make yourself into a Beis HaMigdash, make yourself holy, even if you didn't treat me correctly, even if you're a Balaveirah, for Shachanti B'Socham, all I'm asking is make yourself holy, I'm not going to run away from you, for Shachanti B'Socham, I'll dwell in you. It's a very famous question. The question is, we know Chazal say, that God built the base Hamigdash so that when he got angry, he took his anger out on Eitzim Va'avonim, on wood and on stone, not on us. For because of the Averus that we did, which we'll speak a little bit about tonight, the first base Hamigdash was destroyed because we did three Averus, Shvichas Damim, murderers, Gilea Royas, immorality, Avoid the Zara. Serving idols. Seventy years we were in Gullus. It's bad. Seventy years is not the end of the world. For the three cardinal sins, the second base Hamigdash was destroyed because how we treated each other. Sinas Chinam, I spoke about it a few weeks ago. Sinas Chinam. Hatred for no reason. And of course, we spoke about it, we asked the question, so hatred for a reason is okay? If someone treats me bad, so I'm allowed to hate them? Hashem destroyed the base Migdash for only people hated people for no reason? And we delved into it, we had a share here a few weeks ago, and we realized that any sinner, any hatred between two people, is bechina, is for no reason. Because no matter what that person did to you, she didn't invite you to her wedding, she insulted you, the teacher embarrassed you, whatever you went through in your life, any situation that you went through in your life, you can't, cannot happen to you unless God signs off on it. So that person is going to get punished that they're the one that embarrassed you. But you cannot be embarrassed if God did not sign off on it. You cannot be hurt if God did not sign off on it. Everything that happens in a person's life, Hashem has to sign off. So the truth is that that person hurt you, and if you realize that it came from Hashem, you're not going to hate them. You're not going to hate them. They're a shlich of Hashem. You're going to say, Nebuch, that it came through you, and you're going to be punished for it. I feel bad for you. Maybe not only you'll be Michael, then you'll daven for them. Yeah, that was the greatness. That's what a Jew was supposed to be like. The Chabetz Chaim was insulted in public. The president of a shul made fun of him in public. Chavetz Chaim sold his chair that he had left 
to buy him a silver cup. A teeny little silver cup. The Chofetz Chaim sent the president. President of the shul came to the Chofetz Chaim and said, what are you doing? I embarrassed you, Rabbi. Chofetz Chaim says, you embarrassed me? I was supposed to be embarrassed. But it says that if a person's embarrassed in public and he doesn't answer back, he's kind of oilam abba. Mishor echas in one second. Someone embarrasses you in front of everybody and you stand here and you take it and you don't answer back. Chazal say, you are kind of oilam abba. Chofetz Chaim says, I don't know if writing Shemir Halashan or writing Mishnah Brura is going to get me into Ganeidin. Maybe I enjoyed it too much. Maybe it's going to make me too famous. So I don't know. And I'm always worried every day, am I going to get into Ganeidin? And you, President, by insulting me in public, you gave me the passport, you gave me the ticket. I love you. I'm sorry that I don't have enough money and all I bought you is this little teeny silver cup. What does it mean Mikdash? What does Kadash? What does to make something holy? What does that mean? That means to go over to something and make a bracha, you make a bracha on an apple, is it Kadash? What does it mean? So there's a story about the Chafetz Chaim that Rabbi Kaplan Oliver Shalom said over. He's a mashkiach in Beis Merashali in a Muncie. That he heard from Rabbi Yerucham. Chavetz Chaim had a young son who helped him write the Mishnah Bura. It was the apple of his eye. It was, he was, the relationship between the Chavetz Chaim and this son was amazing. They worked on the Mishnah Bura together. So Chavetz Chaim was out of town and suddenly this son died. Chavetz Chaim's son died very young. So the Chavetz Chaim came back to Raden. He tried to make the Leviah of his own son. And he didn't make it. When he came to the graveyard, his son was already buried. And the people were starting to leave the graveyard. And the Chavetz Chaim said, I'd like to speak for two minutes by my son's grave. He had just, if we could understand, he had just lost his young son, who was helping him write the Mishavura. And he got up the Chavetz Chaim and he said the following story. He said, during the Spanish Inquisition, there was a woman, it was in the time, I believe, of the Rishonim. There was a woman, she was an Almana. She had lost her husband. They had burnt her husband at the stake. She had lost her husband and all she had left was this one little, one little boy who she loved very much. And one day, the Inquisitors caught this boy praying. And they took this boy and they burnt him at the stake in front of his mother. Her only child. And the Chofetz Chaim is saying this story. And the Chofetz Chaim said, this woman got up and said the following. She said, Hashem, until now, my love was divided for you and for my son. Now that you took my son, my love is only for you. That was her reaction after they killed her son. Until now, I love my son and I love you, Hashem. Now, it's all you. Said the Chafetz Chaim. Kodesh Baruch I'm not on the level of that woman. But the place in my heart that my son used to occupy... 
now he's no longer there, I am making it kadosh for you. I am making that place in my heart holy to you, HaKadosh Baruch. He did not say that now that my son is not here, my heart is all for you. He, he said, I'm not that level, I'm not. But I will take this place in my heart that my son used to be and my love for him and I'm going to make it kadosh, I'm going to make it holy. What does that mean? What does it mean to make something holy? And why did he do that? And the answer is, especially in our times, we need to understand this. The answer is, a person who wanted to bring a carbon to Hashem, in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, which was destroyed, we can't bring carbonos today, even though there are a lot of carbonos. So, he's very excited, he made a million dollar deal. So he walks into his barn, and he wants to thank Hashem, I made a million dollar deal. So he walks into his barn and he looks at all the animals. He's got some skinny cows, some fat cows. And he looks for the best, fattest cow that he has because he wants to bring the best thing to Hashem. He's in love with Hashem at this moment. It's a great moment. So he goes ahead and he says, This cow, Kadosh Hashem. This cow is now holy to Hashem. So two things happen. One, he has to be very careful to separate that cow from the other cows, which we'll talk about a little bit tonight, and make sure that that cow doesn't get a mum, that it doesn't get a blemish. Can't be running around in the fields with everybody else, because now this has to go on the Mizbeach, and on the Mizbeach, you can't put anything that has a blemish. So well, number one is he has to watch it very carefully. Number two, that cow no longer belongs to that man. That cow now belongs La Hashem. What happens? He gets a phone call the next day. We're sorry. We made a mistake. Deal's off. What? Deal's off. We're canceling the deal. He runs back into the barn. He says, Hashem, I'm really sorry. I gave that cow when I thought I made a million dollars. Now, I didn't even get the deal. I'm not going to back out of my deal, Hashem. But that little scrawny goat, that's anyway a shtickle not so healthy, I'm going to make an exchange. I'm going to give the goat instead of the cow. The halacha is, you can't do that. Once you made the cow holy, the cow is holy. Why? Because that moment in life, when you thought you had that million dollar contract, you were very happy. You were very excited. Because the next day you found out that the contract isn't happening does not change the happy moment that you had. Now you're having a bad moment. You just found out they canceled the contract. But you can't go back to that moment yesterday when you were happy and cancel it. You were happy. At 12.05, yesterday you were happy. And when you make something holy, that moment lives forever. Nobody can change that moment. That moment lives forever, no matter what else happens. I spoke last night in Great Neck. And I was speaking to women, and I told them the following, and I think this is such an important thing for, for women to know, and for men to know. There's a lot of problems with suffering. I don't have to tell you. I'm not here to 
to make you cry. It's not what I'm here for. I don't need to tell you, to express to you all the problems that Kalei Yisrael is going through. But one of the major problems that we are going through is Shalom bias. Divorce is rampant. Separation is rampant. Good marriages are rare. Marriage counselors you can't even get an appointment with. Rabbis that do Shalom bias, you can't even get near them. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on with this generation? When a man stands under the chuppah and he's ready to get married to the woman who's standing next to him, he doesn't say, will you marry me? He doesn't say, we'll be together forever. He doesn't say, you're mine. He doesn't say, I love you. He doesn't say, you're beautiful. He doesn't say, you're special. He doesn't say, you're the only one. That would be nice. All those adjectives, right? Every woman would love to hear that under the chuppah. But there are two witnesses. And only two witnesses. And they have to be special people. And Shomer Shabbos and holy people. And those two witnesses have to hear what this man says to his wife. And what he says to his wife is, Hare at Mikudeshes li. He uses the word Mikudeshes. It's not a very romantic word. You are holy to me. What is this? I'm back in, in school, in seminary. I'm holy? I'm holy to you? What are, the, what are the rabbis telling us? There should be a lush and chiba. You're special to me. You're amazing to me. You're the only one for me. Mikudesh Esli. Lahavdil, the guy went into the barn. He told the cow, you're also Kaddish to me. She's standing there. What are you talking about? And the witnesses have to hear it. So what does it, what does it mean, Mikudesh Esli? What the man is saying to the woman at that moment is that no matter what happens in the rest of our life, this moment is holy. And when you make something holy, you can't go back and change that moment. And therefore, no matter what happens between the two of us, under the chuppah, this moment stays the same forever. And if we can understand that, then when the things are going wrong, we can go back to that moment. Let's look at that moment. Let's see what got us to that moment. Let's see if we can get back that moment. But we don't understand what marriage is, that it's mikudeshes, that it's forever. And then when I make something kardash, it's my job to make sure that that thing doesn't get a mum, that it doesn't get a blemish, that nobody can hurt it. Surely, Husband and wife should not hurt each other. If it's mikudeshes, then it has to be separated. It has to be watched. It has to be cared for. And it's forever. And that's why the rabbi said to use the word mikudeshes. Mikudeshes is forever. Nobody understands that. They go into the chuppah. It's a one big party. It's how many people are going to be here, how much we're going to spend, how many flowers are here. But the main part, the Kaddosh, the Mikudeshas, the Kaddosh, nobody concentrates. There's two guys in the whole hall that hear it. Have a good day. The moment that you Jews said, Nasev and Ishma, 
When I came to you and I said, will you marry me? And you answered yes. And we'll talk about the arrangements later. Not well. What are you bringing to the table? How much money do you have? Do you have a degree? I want to look into your family. We didn't ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu any questions. We said, Naseh V'Nishma. The reason we're sitting here today as a nation, after all these years in Golos, because Hashem said, that moment will be holy forever. No matter what the Jews do. No matter what we do. That moment, when we stood by Hasina and we said, Nasim and Ishmael, will never change. That's why we're still here. And I, I want to tell you, even before I get into my real subject matter, so I've been bombarded by people, our own people. And we have to be so careful about the news that happened last week. How could it happen? What's going on with the Jewish nation? This is unbelievable. We're doing such terrible things. Number one, Hilchus Lashon Hara, you're not allowed to even read a newspaper where it writes about what happened last week. Number one, you're not even to read about it. Forget about talk about it. Talk about it? Chas v'shalom. So I met someone, he's like, Reverend Wallerstein, could you explain this? I'm like, explain this? It's not our fault. My fault. Kashbuchu disappeared 2,000 years ago. He, brought, he destroyed the base on Migdash. We haven't seen him. We don't have a base on Migdash. We don't have open miracles. He's hidden. He should be happy that we still keep Shabbos and keep the mitzvahs and have a daf yaymi and learn Torah. We're so bad? Hold on. We're sitting here today because the base on Migdash got destroyed. And the Jews did all of the mayors and they had a base on Migdash. They were able to see Mare Koyen. They could see the Koyen. They could see the cloud. They could see the fire. Yushalayim was amazing. What's Yushalayim today? You walk through the Shuk to get to the Kaisel. You walk through all those animals that's sitting there smoking hashish. This is, this is Yushalayim. Smoking their hookahs. This is Yushalayim. You have to worry about Getting a knife in your back if you go through Shah Shem. So Hashem, what do you want from us? Two thousand years, Spanish Inquisition, Holocaust. You throw us into a country with immorality, cell phones, internet. It's our fault. I think we're doing amazing. That anyone still Jewish is amazing. What other nation would put up with this? What other nation did put up with this? No other nation. Calm down. Don't jump on Israel. We have a lot to, to do better, but we're pretty good. If you look in the Medrash, in the times of the Egel, when Israel made the Egel, Hashem came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, I want to destroy Israel." Mashabeno said, erase me. If you destroy them, destroy me. Hashem said, okay. No problem, the Medrash says. I'm going to destroy all of you, and I'm going to go find myself a nation that knows how to behave. 
Moshe Rabbeinu said the following. He said, Hashem, before you destroy us, you know, before you get rid of one wife, make sure you have another one. That's what the Medrash says. So, go through the Goyim and see if you can find another nation to replace us. Says the Medrash, in one second Hashem came back and said, You're forgiven. I just took a look at the other choices. I'll keep you. That's why we're still here. So the Chafetz Chaim did something that we all need to do. The Chafetz Chaim said, right now, at this moment, I'm dealing with the pain of losing my beloved son, and I'm accepting it from you, Hashem, but I don't know what's going to be tomorrow. Tomorrow I might be asking questions. Maybe I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I don't know what my relationship with Hashem is going to be tomorrow. So I'm making it Kaddosh. So this moment in my life can never change. So if tomorrow I'm asking questions, I can come back to this moment and say, that moment you made holy. That moment doesn't belong to you anymore. If it doesn't belong to you anymore, then it's Hashem's. If it's Hashem's, it's not your problem. We're sitting at the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Everyone thinks that we're sitting on Tisha B'Av at the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash 2,000 years ago. Every Tisha B'Av, we're sitting on the destruction of each one of our own Beis HaMikdash. Because Hashem said, I'm in every single one of you. And every single one of you is a Beis HaMikdash. And we need to sit on Tisha B'Av and we have to think about, is my base Hamikdash burning? What am I doing with my life? Are the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians, which is all representation of the Sahara, are they breaking down my walls? Are my walls up or are my walls breached? Am I on the internet? I told them last night. And Wallstein is fed up. With hearing disasters of children who are on the internet and what happens to them. And marriages that are on the internet where husbands or wives are on the internet all night and meeting other people. What is wrong with us? You can't bring Tumor into a base Hamigdash. If you're a base Hamigdash, you can't bring your Misa if you come into a base Hamigdash with Tomei. Where does the parent have a right to bring internet into their house? Your child is a picodon. God lent them to you. Is that how you're going to take care of something that God gives you? Would Hashem bring internet into his house? Was there internet in the base Hamigdash? There was no internet in the base Hamigdash. What is wrong with us? No matter how many times we scream and we yell, whilst it's a Meshuggah talks about the internet all the time. It destroys us little by little. The spider is the most vicious insect that's alive in the world. Not the mosquito and not the bee, the spider. Do you know why the spider? You get seven mitzvahs for killing it? Because it made spider webs in the base Hamigdash. Think about this for a second. A spider is an insect created by Hashem. Where did it have the chutzpah 
To go into the base Hamikdash, it's a spider. It's not a Roman. It's not a Greek. It's a spider. What's it going to the base Hamikdash and making webs? Seven mitzvahs for killing it. And one Avera, because it saved David HaMelech. The spider represents, I'll tell you what the spider is all about. The spider catches the fly. It doesn't kill the fly. It doesn't kill the fly. It's not like all the other insects that kill their prey. It takes the fly, it sticks its needle into the fly, and it sucks enough blood from the fly to feed it without killing the fly. And then it lets the fly regurgitate its blood, and then it comes back, and then it sucks its blood out again. Over and over and over and over, and that poor fly suffers until it dies. And then it doesn't go back to the fly, and it goes to the next fly. The satan is the spider. He's got a whole different game for our nice Jewish kids. People say, I don't understand. My daughter, she was just dressing a month ago a little differently. Just a drop. And now, she's texting on Shabbos. In one month. My from daughter, she's texting her friends on Shabbos. How did it happen? It was one month. I understand. Off the derech, 10 years. One month. It's the spider. He starts off a little bit. A little bit more. A little bit more until there's nothing left. And I don't mean this as a joke in any way. It's no chiddush. But the internet is called the web. It's no chiddush. What does a web have to do with the technology of a computer? Where does that word come from? And the answer is, a web catches things that are flying, they don't see the web. The internet catches people that are, I'm on there for business, Rabbi. I need to have it. And then your children are on it. And then one thing leads to another. And chas v'shalom. The worst things that you can imagine happen. No, not my house. No, not my kids. They know better. Every time I hear that, I'm like, Hashem, one thing, I don't want to ever tell this woman I told you so. But guess what? I always end up telling him I told you so. Tishabov is about the burning of your base Hamigdash, your home, your children, your soul, yourself, this year. That's what's burning right now. Cell phones? To give a child a phone that has text on it? We read tonight in Eicha that women boil their own children. People always cry. My rabbi always cries when we read that in Eicha, that women boil their own children. If you boil your own child, you kill her physically. If you give your child texting on a phone, you boiled her spiritually. That's a lot worse. Life in this world is 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. You destroy a child's neshama, 
Chas v'shalom chilol Shabbos is kares. Kares means cut off from from the in the next world. You were better off boiling her. How many of our children are we destroying? How dare a parent give a young child a phone with texting on it? And then they wonder, a boy, and this Avera, and that Avera, and she's 14 years old, and I don't know how this happened. Of course it happened. You went to the animal that you made Kadosh, and you cut off its leg. And now it can't be born in the base Hamidish anymore. You made the mum in your child. You made the mum in your marriage. If you have internet and your husband's on the internet all night and then you don't understand, you are the one who brought it in. That's the cheshbon that we need to sit on this tish above and think about. My base Hamidish is burning. I need to put out the fire. And that's in every single generation. You can't save everybody. But at least protect them as much as you can. Those two things, that internet and that cell phone, is the destruction of cholesterol. It is the spider. It is little by little by little. It destroys communication. It destroys families, it destroys sneers, it destroys everything. Why does a young girl have to have texting on her phone? If you're scared that you don't know where she is when she goes to school, so let her call you. Let her call you. Seventh graders. Sixth graders, seventh grade girls. Texting boys. Who ever heard of such a thing? Who ever heard of such a thing? Sixth grade girl talking to a boy in a from religious based Yaakov school? Unheard of! How are they talking to the boy? They're texting. Who got them the phone with texting? Their mother. Their father. I'm like, people are out of their minds. You went to the base on Megdash and you destroyed it. That child is the base on Megdash. That child belongs to Hashem. You're just taking care of it while it's on this world. Where do you have a right to bring that into the base on Megdash? So the Chavetz Chaim went ahead and he said just the opposite. He said, I'm going to take all the good things and I'm going to make them Kaddosh forever. You wake up in the morning and you say, today I'm making my day holy to Hashem. Then that day belongs to Hashem. It doesn't belong to you. Once it belongs to Hashem, it's a totally different day. And anything that happens in that day is not your fault. It's Hashem's day. The moments that we have in life that are holy and that are good and that we feel a chizuk, we need to make them holy to Hashem. I want to tell you a story. I, I, I think I say it pretty much every year so that we could understand what it means to be Kaddish Hashem, to make a moment Kaddish Hashem. And then I'm going to try to explain to you why today is called a Yantif. This doesn't look like much of a Yantif. Everybody's sitting on the floor and fasting, eating eggs with ashes and bread with ashes. And it's a yantif. We didn't say tachanun today by mincha. We don't say tachanun tomorrow. Kurei moyed. It's a yantif. What does that mean? So most people think it means that when Mashiach comes, it's going to be a yantif. Right? It's right now a yantif. Right now we don't say tachanun. And what exactly are we, how are we going to celebrate this yantif? Pesach, we sit around, we have a seder, we read the Haggadah. We're going to sit around when Mashiach comes, then we're going to sit on the floor? 
And so the Yontav of the Beis Hamidish was destroyed. Let's celebrate. Yontav. What are you going to say? Rosh Hashanah, you say, What are you going to say on Tishabov when it becomes the Yontav? The Beis Hamidish should be destroyed again? No. What are you going to say? So how is today a Yontav? So I'm going to try to explain that. And my other question is that it says Hashem took his anger out on the on the rocks and the wood of the base Hamidash, that doesn't make any sense. You're telling me that Hashem got angry and he kicked the water cooler? He got angry at the Jews. He said, Ooh, I want to kill all you, but uh, boom! Destroy the base Hamidash. That's not God. How do we learn that? He lost his temper. He's like, Ooh, boom! I'm going to give a smack into the closet door. Hashem lost his temper. What, what happened over here? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that he took it out on the base of Midrash instead of us. Hello? Hashem doesn't have a temper. So I'm going to try to explain and I'm going to try to answer both of them. But I want to tell you a story. The story took place in Auschwitz. And I speak about it very often. Rav Shadron, the Maggid of Yushalayim, tells over this story. And he says that there was a man that lived in B'nai Brak and he had a grandson and he was very close to his grandson. His grandson used to sit on his lap all the time. There was something very weird about this, this old Jewish man. His hands had no hair on them. Man's hands usually have black hair. You don't have hair. He was bald. His whole arms were bald. So, you know, kids, they, uh, they're not embarrassed to ask questions. So he used to say, Zaydi, my tati has hair. How come you don't? And Zaydi always told him, at your bar mitzvah, I'm going to answer this question. Ah, oh, come on. At your bar mitzvah, I'm going to answer this question. So, comes to the boys bar mitzvah. It's in B'nai Brak. All the Rabbanim are there. Everybody's there. The man is sitting at the dais. The grandfather with the, with the grandson. The kid says his pshetel. When he's finished, he goes over to his father, his grandfather. He says, okay, Zaydi, now it's my bar mitzvah. What is up with your hands? You have no hair on your hands. The lady said, in 10 minutes, you're going to know the answer. 10 minutes later, everybody's eating. In walks a man. From head to toe, not a hair. No eyelashes, no eyebrows, no beard, no hair on his head. He looked like Chasrishalom. He went through chemotherapy. So nobody recognized, nobody knew who he was. Everybody was saying, Oy vey, a very sick man just walked in, get him a cheer, he probably can't stand. Whatever it is, this man walks in. When the grandfather sees him, he jumps up, he runs to the middle of the hall, he gives him a hug and a kiss, and they're hugging and they're kissing and they're crying, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody ever saw him before. He comes to the dais, the Ramitsu boy is walking along with them, and the grandfather sits down and gets up actually and says, I would like my friend Chaim, to say a few words. But Zaydi, you told me, you're going to tell me why you don't have hair. Shh. Chaim's going to tell you. So Chaim got up, and he said the following story. He said, we were in Auschwitz, and I was a young boy, I came to Auschwitz, they put us into a cattle car, I had three brothers and three sisters and my parents with me. And we traveled for a week or two weeks in this cattle car. Most of the people, when they opened it up, were dead. But Baruch Hashem, Nisim and the Flois, my mother, my father, 
and my brothers and sisters all made it. We came out of the cattle car, standing there, you should burn forever. Dr. Mengele was standing there, and we lined up, and of course the famous left and right, and they came to my father, and he was an older man, and Dr. Mengele said to the left, which meant to die. And my mother started screaming, no, no, he has to go with me, he has to go with me, and she ran across to pull my father back, and when she ran across to pull my father back, the, the Mengele took out his gun, and he shot my mother in the head. And there was my mother laying in front of me, dead. And my father tried to turn to do something to Mengele, and he shot him dead too. And my brothers and sisters started getting hysterical and screaming, and Mengele said, all those people who are screaming, shoot him now. He said, and I watched all my sisters and my brothers, each one shot dead on top of my father and my, and my mother, and all their blood was mixed. And I stood there, and I watched this happen. And then I was so stunned, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to say. And he said to me, to the right. And I got online with a bunch of young men, I was a young boy at the time. And they lined us up, and they took us into a barracks. And they said, you dirty, filthy Jews, we're going to clean you up. Take off all your clothing. And they took off all our clothing. He said, I was a young Hasidish boy. I was a Tznua. I never, ever, anyone never saw my body ever. And here they were asking me to take off all my clothing in front of everybody. He said, I, 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 I was just so shocked about what was going on. I just stripped off all my clothing. And there we were, 30 boys standing, totally Hasidish boys, standing without any clothing in this cold barracks. And the Nazis told us, okay, every one of you, there's a pit of lye, which is acid, and every one of you is to jump into that pit of lye. We're going to delouse you. We're going to get rid of all your lice because Jews are filthy and Jews are dirty. And therefore, you're full of lice. We're going to get rid of all your lice. And one by one, these Jewish boys, these Bate Migdashim, these Beis HaMigdashs, one by one, went into this pit of lye to be deloused. And each one came up, and after they came up, they put on those Auschwitz outfits, whatever they were. It didn't matter whether it fit or it didn't fit. And this boy was the last boy. And he goes into the pit, and he starts to scream, I don't want to put my head, I don't, I don't want to do this. And all the guys are screaming, put your head in! Because it's acid, he's burning. Put your head in! And finally... He can't do it, and the Nazi comes with his boot, and he puts his foot on his head, and he pushes it into the pit of lye. And he steps away, and he says, Dirty Jew, now you're going to come up clean. And he doesn't come up. And there's smoke coming out of this pit. And this one guy online is freaking out. And he runs, and he puts his hand into the lye, into this pit, and he feels around for this boy, and he grabs him under his armpits. And he pulls him out. He said his skin was already burnt. His body was smoking from this acid. And the Nazi said, he's finished. Let him die. And this boy said, no, no, no. No, no, we'll take care of him. He said, you'll take care of him? He's burnt. He'll never make it. We'll take care of him. And they took him to the barracks. And they took care of this guy. 
And then, when he was able to talk, they asked him, Why? Why? Why did you stay under that acid? And he said, I was under that acid and I started to think. They took away my house. They took away my friends. They took away my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters. I was still standing tall. But then they took away my clothing. They took away who I am. And when I was underneath that lie, I said, What do I have left? No friends, no home, no family, no clothes. I have nothing left. I said, I do have something left. They can't take away Hashem. I'm staying in here and I'm going to Hashem. That they can never take away from me. Nazis, you can't take God away from the Jewish nation. Immorality, the internet, witchcraft, clubs, drugs, drinking, gambling. Oh, they can take a lot away from the Jewish nation. But no matter what, everybody in this room, they can't take God away from us. Only we can run away from Hashem. Hashem will never leave a Jew. But you can leave Hashem. And that's what we need to focus on this Tisha B'Av. How far have I run away from Hashem? I hear so many people say, God has abandoned us. Oh no. Oh no. We have abandoned Him. He will never abandon us. Even after an Egel, he said, I want to live with you. No matter what sin, no matter where, and I can tell you witness to this, no matter where a Jew falls to, to the lowest of the low, Hashem is always waiting for him to come back. Always. Don't ever think, I'm so far from Hashem, I can't come back. You didn't make an Egel. You didn't go into the Yichud room and have somebody else when the Chassan was walking in. So Kleinsville has to know that no matter what we're going through and all the press, the anti-Semitic press, somebody said to me, oh, I can't believe this is happening to us in our America. Our America? Our America? Chas <laughs> v'shalom. They'll throw us out of here as fast as they threw us out of Germany. We have a problem. Our problem is that when God created the Jewish nation, He said there are 70 nations, 70 nations, and the Jewish nation. I heard that the Briskarov, when, when Israel became a nation in 1948, that the Briskarov started crying. And they asked the Briskarov, Why are you crying? And he said, because now the Jewish nation has become the 71st nation. We're not, a, we're not a nation. We're not a nation. We're not one of the 70 nations. The 70 nations, each one has their individuality. Spanish, Italian, German, 
South American, Jews, we're a reflection. We don't have a self. We're a reflection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're a reflection of God. We don't have a self. And the problem is that once you don't have a self, the Teva becomes that wherever you are, that's what you become. And that's talk of the very big problem. You know, when I was a kid growing up and I heard Hungarians with the Polish, with this and that, I said, it'll never happen to us. And now, there's the Flatbush people, and the Lakewood people, and the Muncie people, and the Borough Park people, and the Williamsburg people. We can afford to split up with such a big nation? And I'm not going out with an out-of-towner who doesn't understand the Flatbush girl. He's a Harry because he comes from Baltimore. This is the opposite. This is why the base Hamid just was destroyed. Not funny. You're laughing. It's, it's the destruction of Klaisrol. We're all Jews. We're so busy reflecting the Goyim. I told them last night, I'm like, the Goyim don't have this. The Goyim don't have this. You're either a Catholic or a Protestant, but you're not a, oh, he's a Christian from Alabama, and I'm a Christian from North Dakota. We can't have anything to do with each other. Christian's a Christian, a Muslim's a Muslim, and a Hindu is a Hindu, and it doesn't matter where they come from. We're all of a sudden... This kind of Jew, and that kind of Jew, and that kind of Jew, and that's Sinas Chinam. We're one nation. And we're not taking this kid into our school, because she's from here, and this one's from here. And the worst thing that can ever happen, any parent in this room knows, is to have your daughter sitting at a table, and they're not getting along with each other. I'd rather not have a Shabbos table, than have five of my daughters sitting there, and not talking to each other. So how do you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels? Well, oh, I'm not talking to her. She's more modern. I'm not talking to her. She's from out of town. Chas v'shalom. That's called sinas chinam. There's no reason for that. Destruction of the base of Midrash was kamtsa by kamtsa. Somebody was invited to a party who they mixed up the invitation. And they said, get out of here. You don't belong here. I didn't invite you. Destruction of the base of Midrash. Oh, you're in my school? I don't want you here anymore. Destruction of Klai But I'm here already. Make it work. Get me a tutor. Help me out. No, you don't belong in my school. Kamsa by Kamsa, every day. You don't belong here, but I'm here. No, sorry. You're not like the rest of them. This is the destruction of Klai This is Sinas Chinam. Ahavas chinam means to love another Jew because they're a Jew. Period. End of case. Religious, not religious, Borough Park, Williamsburg, Flatbush, the five towns, makes no difference whatsoever. We're so busy reflecting. We're so busy reflecting. Instead of Hashem, we're reflecting everything else. I was telling the girls last night, I don't want to make any jokes on Tisha B'Av. I have to be very careful. Jewish people eating sushi. Right? We eat sushi. 
It's such a good food. Think about it. It's rice with this, with that. Why do we eat sushi? The truth. Where did it all start from? It started because the Goyen, the Japanese, have sushi. So we have to be like everybody else. So if the Japanese have sushi and the Goyen have sushi, so we have to have sushi. And not only in that sushi, we have to have fake shrimp because they have, they have shrimp. So we have to have fake shrimp, fake crab. So we're so busy, we have to be like everybody else. So the Shabbos table is beginning to, you know, you pull the fishes out and sushi is in. But if you think about it, it's all about, it's, it sounds funny, but it's not funny. Because you know any Japanese that eat Jewish food? For sure not. You know why? Because they're not interested in being like the Jews. They have no interest of sitting at a Japanese table and saying, well, we need to have potato kugel because Jews have kugel. <laughs> but we're so busy copying them. We have to have everything like them. Fake cheese and fake... So how did this happen to us? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us to reflect Him. And we're busy reflecting the world. The world has cell phones. The world has internet. The world gets dressed a certain way. A woman came to me. She said, I don't understand why my daughters can't get along with each other. Me and my sisters, we get along all the time. Why can't my daughters get along with each other? I said, do you have a television? She said, yes. I said, you have like family hour? Yes. What's like, what's the family's favorite show? Favorite, favorite show. American Idol. Translated into Hebrew, American Avoid the Zara. Okay. I said, tell me, what is American Idol? What is American Idol? So American Idol is a show where people get up and have talents and they're looking to find people who have talents, right? And then they're going to go professional. I said, and what happens? Well, they have all these people get up, and every week they throw another two or three or four or five people off the show because they're no good. I'm like, really? Yeah. And last week, my daughter didn't come to your shear because uh, John, right, who was pretty good, we wanted to see if he'd get thrown off the show. So I said, you mean she stayed away from my shear to see someone get hurt and embarrassed and belittled? Yeah. So this is the basis of America that we live in, that we're reflecting, is a show about someone getting up who worked their whole life, who thinks they're good, they think they're good. And they think they have a good voice. And they get up and they sing their heart out. And these three mushchatsim, low-life judges, who have no life, and everybody likes the one judge who makes fun of everybody. You hear? So this is how you're growing up. That the guy who's the good guy is the one who belittles everyone. So the three judges get up and say, you think you know how to sing? You sound like a frog. Get off the show. And everybody, millions of people are sitting in this nation and they're clapping. Look, they just embarrassed a human being. They just pulled him apart in front of everyone. They said, she's fat. She's ugly. She can't sing. She's an idiot. What do you think you are? What are you doing here? How do you have the chutzpah even show up on this show? And everyone's sitting there and Coca-Cola's paying a million dollars a minute. To advertise on this show. Because that's what everyone's watching. So I said, so, so you don't understand why your two daughters don't get along with each other? If the winner of the show is, is throwing her out and telling her she's stupid and she's no good, so you think your daughter's going to tell her sister, you're beautiful? You're special? That's a loser. The winner is the one who makes fun of the other person. So when you bring a television into your house, and this is what your children are watching, 
And all the other shows, and I want to tell you all the other shows, they throw a person off an island, or they throw a person off a show, or some girl's going out with 50 guys, and every day she says no to 50 of them, or some guy's going out with 50 girls, and he embarrasses each one every single day. You're no good. You thought I was going to marry you over my dead body. And you're no good, and you're no good. And that's what our children are watching, and then we don't understand. They don't get along with each other. Because America is about not getting along with each other. You don't watch Miss America to see who's the winner. You watch to see the other 49 get thrown off and get embarrassed. And this is how we're bringing up our children. And then they go to school and the teacher gets up. And she's like, Coca-Cola wouldn't pay two bucks for that. Migdash is a holy place. It doesn't have these shows. It doesn't have this garbage. Hashem says, make me a Migdash. I promise you, ladies. Hashem says, I promise you, have my word. If you become a Beis HaMigdash, I will dwell in you. And if you look at the, Mish- the Mishnah, the beautiful Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, that says, There were ten miracles that happened to our forefathers in the Beis HaMikdash. A woman never had a miscarriage in the Beis HaMikdash. That was one of the miracles. The meat never rotten. There was no such thing as rot. There was no such thing as something spoiling. A person who was in the Beis HaMikdash, they don't rot. They don't spoil. They don't miscarry. Miscarry in this mission has a much deeper meaning. Pregnancy is potential. When a person's pregnant, that's potential. Hashem made it that when a woman's pregnant, you can all see that she's pregnant. Why? That everyone should see the potential of the child before it's in this world. Pregnancy is potential. In the Beit HaMikdash, potential was never miscarried. So if you make yourself into a Beis HaMikdash, your potential will never be miscarried. It's ten Nisan that happened in the Beis HaMikdash. Nothing will rot. No flies were ever seen in the Beis HaMikdash. Anyone who knows Chazal calls the Yetzirah a fly. Because a fly cannot eat anything that's whole. A fly on, a, on, a, on an apple can't do anything to the apple. Take a little piece out of the apple and it will go into that piece that you took out and it will suck it dry and it will rot it and it will destroy it. A fly cannot destroy anything that's whole. If you make yourself into a base amigdash and you're whole, the fly, the Yitzhahara, he can't touch you. There won't be any tumah. No matter how much rain the fire of the Beis HaMikdash could never get put out. A person who makes themselves holy and stays away from all this garbage and you become a Beis HaMikdash, your fire can never be put out. Never. No matter what you go through in life, no matter how much rain, which represents pain, says the Mishnah, can never be put out if you're a Beis HaMikdash. These are the ten miracles of the Beis HaMikdash. And the smoke that went up, no matter how windy it was, it went straight up. No matter what winds come against you in your life, 
no matter how many people want to change you for the worse, your pillar, if you're a base Hamidash, will always go straight up. Ten miracles. In the food, they'll never be found a psul. In the base Hamidash, they were packed like sardines. But when it came to bow to Hashem, somehow there was room for everybody. A person, and this is the most important one to me of everything in this Mishnah. A person who makes themselves into a base Hamidash, who makes themselves holy, who gets off that internet and gets off that Facebook. And I'll fight every single person in this room. I'll introduce you to some of the girls that went on Facebook and where they are today. Maybe that'll change your mind. It's a terrible place and you don't need to have it. And the guy you are writing in Time Magazine and the Newsweek, the destruction of children, it's Facebook, not Robert Wallerstein. The guy you see it. What is wrong with us? Oh, I can't communicate with anyone else. So you're telling me that computers in the world went down? That's it. You become a tree. You can't communicate to anyone anymore. Finished. You're right, because you don't know how to talk. You don't know how to talk. You talk with your fingers. You die me the ace of. You don't know Kokoyakov anymore. I think this was the biggest miracle in the base. I mentioned it talks about it a lot. That no matter how packed the room was, right? When in Yom Kippur, you couldn't move. You were like sardines. But then you had to bow. When they said Hashem's name, everybody had to bow. All of a sudden, everyone bowed, and they didn't touch to the person in front of them. You know what this means? This means that a person who has a base amygdash in them, there's always room for someone else. No matter how busy you are, no matter how much you have to go, I can't do it, I, I, I got so much of my own stuff. In the base amygdash, there was no such thing as so much of my own stuff. Because you always had room for the other person. A person who's holy, and a person who's not busy with all this garbage, everyone wants to say, well, how do you have time? I have time because I don't watch TV, and I don't go to movies, and I don't read newspapers, and I'm not on the internet. Guess what? You're going to find out you have a lot of time and a lot of time for other people. And that when you, when you bow to Hashem, there's going to be room for everybody else in your life. All of a sudden, you're going to have time. And the last one, actually two more. Never during the Beit HaMikdash did a snake or a scorpion hurt any person. If you're a Beit HaMikdash, there's no Nachash that can hurt you. And there's no Akrov that can hurt you. And the last of the ten... And a person will never tell his friend when the Beit Hamidrash was around, that being in Yushalayim is uncomfortable. A person who himself is a Beit Hamidrash feels very comfortable in Eretz Yisrael. They don't even want to be in America. Forget America, forget everything. Yushalayim? Eretz Yisrael? The times of Beit Hamidrash, nobody ever complained. And they didn't have air conditioning. So the main thing that we need to do is to make this base Hamikdash, and that answers the two questions that I asked in the beginning. It's a yontif today. You know what's a yontif today? The yontif today is because today you can fix your base Hamikdash by remembering what we lost. You can go into your cells and v'osli Hamikdash v'shachati b'saycham. Oh, it's a big yontif because if each person fixes their base Hamikdash, if each person finds their Mashiach, everybody thinks. I heard this, this word a few years ago. I think my Rebbe Rabbi Gamliel said this. Everybody's waiting. We want Mashiach now. Everyone thinks Mashiach's going to come and it's going to be good for everyone. Rabbi Gamliel said, no, everyone needs to bring their own Mashiach. And if all the Jews bring their own Mashiach to themselves, then the whole Jewish nation will have Mashiach.
We're all waiting for the one Mashiach to save us all. It's a mistake. We all need to find our own Mashiach. And when we all find our own Mashiach, then Christ's is going to be redeemed. And as far as Hashem taking out his anger, uh, and that answers also why it's a yantif. I'll tell you why it's a yantif. When there was a base Hamigdash, so people weren't working on themselves. You had a base Hamigdash with Kohan. And why, how did this happen? They had a base Hamigdash, right? And, and, and we ended up losing both base Hamigdash. We did all kinds of crazy Averis. How did that happen? We all sitting in this room are like, if in Israel there was a base Hamigdash, with everything that it says about the base Hamigdash, We'd all be there. We'd all be tzaddikistas. We'd all be dressed sneistic. Rabbi Walstein wouldn't have to give any speeches. Beis Hamigdash! You think we're better than those Jews? Than the Tanaim who wrote the Gemara? You think you women are better than the women that lived in those days? Read the stories, what they did. Hannah and her children? Yeah? You're willing to give up seven children like she did? They were much bigger than us. What went wrong? What went wrong is that when they were doing bad things, they said, listen, we could do what we're doing, but in the base Hamigdash, there's a bunch of Kahanim and rabbis in the Nidim. They're taking care of the whole generation. So I did a couple of Averis, but the base Hamigdash is taking care of everything. Yom Kippur, they're going to bring a carpet, and everything will be fine. So what happened to the Jews were, they depended on the base Hamigdash. And therefore, as individuals, there was no base Hamigdash. There was no Ba'asli Migdash for Shachati Basilchim. There was no people walking around and saying, I gotta work on myself. I gotta change my life. I gotta grow. They said, No, I don't gotta do nothing. The Kohanim, Rabbi Wallace, he's a Kohen. He, he's gonna bring a carbon. He's gonna take care of everything. And that was the destruction of Kaisro. So Hashem, when he got angry and he saw what we're doing, he said, What am I doing? I gotta take the bricks and the stones and the wood out. No base Hamigdash. I'm gonna destroy it. That's gonna save Kaisro. Because when you don't have a base on Migdosh, then you have to take care of yourself because there's no one to say he's going to take care of me. So Hashem, out of his love, said the base on Migdosh is not doing the Jews any good. It's doing them bad. I'm going to destroy the base on Migdosh. They're not going to have anywhere to go. They're going to come to me. Personally. Privately. In their room. In the morning. At night. In shul. By themselves. In camp. In the woods. They're going to come to me. They're not going to come to me in the woods or in camp. Or in the morning next to their bed, they have a base Hamigdash. What am I dominating next to my bed? I'm going to Yushalayim to the base Hamigdash. I'm going to watch the Kahanim. So Hashem, out of His love, took, it, took His anger on the wood and the stones. And He said that the reason that Christ was sinning was because of the wood and the stones, not because of us. Because we had this building and we believed that everything would be taken care of over there. So Hashem Baruch Hu destroyed it. And by destroying it, He gave us each one of us, a base Hamigdash. Because there is no base Hamigdash for all of us. Every single girl in this room, every Jewish woman, is a base Hamigdash. She's more than a base Hamigdash. Because she's a factory. She's producing Jewish children. She's the one the Yetzirah wants to take down much more than the men. Much more than the men. The Germans, when they were building tanks, the Americans, they said, we can't, we can't get their tanks. We're going to go shoot every single tank. We're not going to be able to do it. So they went and they bombed the factory. Take out the factory, there are no tanks. Take out the mother in a house, there are no children. Take out the father, the mother can bring up the children, that's fine. Take out the mother, it's over. He's busy, he's this, forget about it. So the Yetzirah, this generation, you know, I, I teach, we have our novel, we have, we have, I teach girls. So everyone, wants to know, everyone asks me in Chinuch, I don't understand what happened to the girls. Even in the years behind, you know, the old days, the boys were always bad, but we always could depend on the girls. We always could depend on the girl. When I grew up, there was no such thing as a bad girl. 
Don't succeed. There were some bad guys. Don't succeed with a bad girl. I don't understand, Rabbi Wolski. What happened? We always could depend on the girls. Now, the girls are busy taking down the boys. What happened? And the answer is, Yetzirah got smart. He's going to go after every single boy. Going to go after a girl. That girl, right, going to bring up her children the wrong way. They got all the children in one shot. So Yetzirah returned. It's Mashiach's time. He's like, let me pick out the Jewish women. Take out the Jewish women. There's no Jewish nation. Finito. In Mitzrayim, they took out, they made the biggest mistake. You know what the Mitzrayim's mistake were? I heard this a long time. It's a very dick of art. You know what Paro's big mistake was? He should have thrown the girls into the river and let the boys live. There would have been no Yitzhak Mitzrayim. <coughs> what a major mistake he made. He said, let's kill the boys and let the girls live. The girls, says the Gemara, took us out of Mitzrayim. You women... The Nashim Tikkanias took it out of Mitzrayim. What a fool. If he would have thrown the girls into the river and left the men, the men would have never been on any level to take, take them out of Mitzrayim. Big mistake. So the Yetzirah said, you're not going to pull it on me again. You're not going to pull the same thing on me again. Mashiach is not coming. You know why? Because the girls, the Gemara says, are going to take us out of this gullus. No. I'm going after the girls. I'm throwing them into the river. I'm throwing them to the cults. I'm throwing them onto the internet. I'm throwing them onto their phones and their iPods and their rock and roll and all their garbage. I'm throwing them in the river. If I throw them in the river, the guys are easy. There'll be no Mashiach. You want Mashiach next year? You want Mashiach now? It's up to you. It's not up to me. The Gemara says it's up to the Nashim Tzikaniyat. I cannot bring Mashiach. Me and all the men in the world and all the Dafyaimis and all the Tyra, which is keeping us alive. Don't get me wrong. Without Tyra, we're not around. We're done. All us men, the Gemara says, you're not bringing Mashiach. Rav Chaim, Chaim, Hadar, he's not bringing Mashiach, says the Gemara. Gemara says, you saved us by the Golas Mitzrayim, and you are going to save us by this Golas. So what are you doing? So what are you doing? We need your help. Why are you throwing yourself into the river? You're the ones that are going to take us out of here. We got a close camp, Simcha. We got a close camp, Hask. We got a close jet camp. We don't need to do Kirov anymore. We don't need to cure cancer. We need to bring Mashiach because when we bring Mashiach, it's all done. Finished. It's all done. I can't bring him. You can. It's time. Girls, it's time. And you got to go to your friends and you got to go to your cousins and you, and, and, and you got to help them. I know it's very late. I don't want to end on a hard note. I want to end on a, on a, on a good note. I just heard this story from a friend of mine last week. Oshi Langzam told me the story. It's a, an ending. So I want to end with this. It's an amazing story. And he said the story. I'm sure some of you have read Lieutenant Birnbaum's books. And I see him very time, every time I'm there. It's Israeli Dalman's Vasek. And I always see him there. He's an amazing man. He's, writ, he's written many books. This is not in his book. So the story goes like this, that there was this um, this man that was in, I believe he was in Beit Vagan. He went to Davin in Beit Vagan. And he walks into Shul, an American guy, walks into Shul. And he sees that a man is davening in the corner, beautiful blonde man with real blue eyes. And sitting next to this man are these two little boys, like Swedish a little bit, you know, with payas, but they look very not Jewish. Blue eyes, blonde hair, very Aryan, very not Jewish. 
So he's watching these, this, this guy daven with his two kids. It's like something magnificent. So he walks, Lieutenant Birnbaum was davening in that meeting. So he walks over to Lieutenant Birnbaum and he asks him, wow, I never saw like, this guy is like really beautiful. Like, like, who is he? Like, do you know anything about him? So Lieutenant Birnbaum says, oh, Avraham. You want to know about Avraham? I'll tell you about Avraham. His name is Avraham. I'll tell you about Avraham. He says the following story. Amazing, amazing story. He says, this, this man, Avram, is a Balchuva. And his story is as follows. Avram grew up in Germany. He's a German guy. This boy, this man, he's a German guy. And he grew up in Germany with his mother. His mother told him that his father had died. He was an orphan. He grew up with his mother. And they had a very good relationship. He began to study in the German college about the Holocaust. And he found, he found the Holocaust very interesting. So he decided one day he's going to fly to Israel. He's going to go to this place called Yad Vashem that talks about the Holocaust. And he, and he went to Yad Vashem and he studied it. And he fell in love with Israel and he fell in love with Judaism. And to make a long story short, it's very late. He ended up becoming a Ger. He went, I think he went to Arsameach or maybe went to Aish. I'm not sure where. He became a Ger. And he was very, very excited. They read him a Shidduch, a, a, very, a very nice girl. Also, also a Ger. And it came to the day of their chuppah, and he invited his mother from Germany to come. And she wasn't anti-Jews or whatever. She came, and he sat down, you know, like, before the, before the wedding. They had a couple of hours. He said, Mom, you know, I'm getting married. You never talked to me about Dad, about Papa. Who was he? You know, like, how did he die? Like, like what did he used to do? She goes, no, uh, you know, it's your wedding day. Let's not talk about Papa. He says, no, 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 I'm getting married. I'd like to know who my father was. She said, well, if you really want to know the truth, Papa never died. I said, excuse me? Said, Papa didn't die. Oh, you're divorced? He goes, no, I'm not divorced. So where's Papa? He says, Papa's in prison. For so long? Forever. Said, what do you mean Papa's in prison forever? He says, well, you know you're German, and Papa was in the Nuremberg trials, he was a Gestapo agent and he killed thousands and thousands of Jews. He was found guilty and he was put into prison for life. You can't imagine this Avraham who became a Jew, became a Ger because he studied what the Holocaust, what the Nazis did to us to be told that day of his wedding that his father was one of those Nazis was beyond him. But it was his wedding day and he handled it and he told his mother Ma, let's forget that we ever had this discussion. I don't want to ever hear his name again. I don't want to ever hear about it. He got married. She went back to Germany. A few years later, his mother calls him. We'll call him Chaim. I don't know what his name was exactly. It was Chaim. No, his name was Avram. I'm sorry. He said, Avram? Avram? No, because I remember he's Avram. You got to come to Germany now. She says, why? He says, she said, Papa is dying he only has a couple of weeks left. He's dying, and I think you need to make peace with him for yourself. He said, Ma, I am not going to meet a man who killed Jews. I am not interested. Let him rot. She said, listen to me. I'm your mother. You need to make peace. You say whatever you want to say to him. You need to make peace. He said, on one condition, I want to take my two children with me. I want to show my papa, that Nazi Gestapo, I want to show him 
that he didn't destroy the Jewish nation. I wanted to see his Jewish grandchildren with little payas. I wanted to see that the Jews will live forever. She said, no problem. Bring your children. So he takes his two children. He goes to this German jail where his father is dying. He walks into the room. This German man is sitting there. This boy sits down, Avram sits down with his two children, and he's just looking at his father. For 20 minutes, they don't say one word. All of a sudden, Avram jumps up. You murderer! You killer! You disgusting excuse of a human being! I have my peace. I see your face. I hope you rot in Gehenna. But I have to ask you something. What did you ever do to deserve to have two grandchildren like this? You're a murderer. You're a killer. You're a cold-blooded Nazi. Why would Hashem give you two grandchildren like this? This Nazi, Yemach Shemoy, looks at his son Avram and says the following. We were, I was a Gestapo agent. Our job was to round up Jewish children and Jewish men and women and kill them. We came to a town in Poland. We went house to house. We pulled all the Jews out. All the women, all the children, all the fathers. We put them into the center of the town and we shot them all. So my commandant said to me, you know what? We never checked the barn behind that house. Go, check the barn, make sure there's no one hiding there. He said, I walked into that barn, I opened the door, and I saw out of my right eye that in the corner, there were two sets of little eyes under a haystack. And I knew right away, I could see with a little girl and a little boy. And I don't know why to this day, I turned around and I closed the door and I walked away. If you want to know why I have two grandchildren like this, it's because I saved two Jewish children. I could have had them both killed, and I don't know why I didn't. That's the story. If a Nazi murderer with Jewish blood on his hand, his reward is to have two beautiful Jewish grandchildren and a son that's Jewish because he saved two Jewish children Allah has come surely ladies the reward for a Jewish person who saves Hashem's children take it on yourself this year you don't have money you can't support organizations that help bring Jewish children back to Hashem give your time it doesn't have to be an organization it's your cousins that aren't religious it's your friends, it's your aunts, it's your uncles. Look into your own family. Bring two sets of eyes back to Hashem. Two little children. The reward, the reward for this Nazi was to have grandchildren like this. Imagine the reward for your children and grandchildren. Take on yourself not only to fix your base, Hamigdash, but to help others. Tonight's Echa, we end. Hashivenu, Elecha Hashem, Benashuva. We say, Hashem, return to us and we'll return to you. But God, you got to take the first step.
every single person's life, if you think back to some point when you needed him, he took the first step. You just have to focus on it. And if you realize he took the first step, then you got to take the next step. And if you take the next step, Hashem will take the next step. And then you'll take the next step. And all of a sudden, like the Kruvim, as it says, even when the Brace of Midrash was burning, they were intertwined with each other. Just take that step. I do not want to get up here next year. Bezrat Hashem Amakohen. A bracha to everyone. The Brace of Midrash has a big Ezra Sanashim. Big. Next year, I hope to give my drasha in the Beis HaMikdash to all of you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.